Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Up next on Inside the SCCA, Racing for Heroes. Our guest today is a decorated retired naval officer who has dedicated his post-active duty life to helping veterans. He's worked with several nonprofits over the years helping veterans deal with life after the military. He was director of operations and finance at the Bob Woodruff Foundation, an organization created by award-winning journalist Bob Woodruff after he was hurt by an IED while covering the war in Iraq. He joins us today to talk about his current gig. He's the executive director at Racing for Heroes. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show Dr. Brett Brash. Welcome. Hey, Brian. Uh, super glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here. So last week I interviewed an, a lieutenant colonel. A retired lieutenant colonel. This week, I'm interviewing a retired lieutenant commander. I feel like I need to like pull out my spit shine shoes and <laughs> and uh, you know get my hair cut high and tight and and but uh, no seriously though, uh, it's it is my pleasure to have our our military and former military members on the show. Uh, we we certainly appreciate all of your service. Um, so let's start with with a little bit about I always like to start a little bit about the background of the people sure. on the show. And, you know, this is the inside the SCCA podcast. Mm -hmm. Usually I have guys on the show who are race car drivers or have something to do with 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 building cars, racing cars. Your background has nothing to do with that. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, and if you look at kind of racing for heroes, uh, a lot of what we do internal to racing for heroes is actually helping veterans. But we do it through motorsports. Right. Right. So what what is you know what is your background? You're a naval officer. I, mm -hmm. I understand you enjoy sail sailboat racing. So you do race, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. We I race uh, right now. I have a 33 foot sailboat. Uh, we race here in uh, Long Island Sound, where where I live. Uh, in fact, I'm the commodore of the yacht club I'm at. Uh, I don't think it's on my bio, but uh, I got elected the other day. I, I think because I get along with everyone, so they were like, "Oh, please be commodore." So I, I assume that a yacht club is like the SCCA. It's it's a lot of politics. <laughs> it's I, well, it's herding cats, you know, because every everyone's like always really smart because like, you know, I, I uh, at, certainly at the yacht club, I'm sure the SCCA is like this. You know, you have people are lawyers, doctors, you know, CEOs. So everyone's sort of like at the top of their world. And now they're in a in an organization that's kind of like that. So like when they're like. Well, you know, I'm a lawyer. I'm like, oh, well, I have a PhD in Somali peace process. How about that? <laughs> so, <laughs> I always say that an SCCA race director is neither the head coach or the president of the robber room. You yep. know, so it's <laughs> I, I, I'm sure you you get that idea. So uh, you spent how many years in the Navy? Yeah, so uh, 20 years in the Navy. Um, I'm a I graduate from the Masters Maritime Academy. So um, I had intended on going to the Merchant Marine. And uh, in 93, there was no jobs out there. So I was like, you know what? I'll join the Navy for a few years, get some, you know, sea time. And then next thing you know, 20 years later, I'm retiring. Um, and, uh, and I was a surface warfare officer. So I was sort of like 
on ship uh, all over across the globe uh, and spent time uh, at a task force in East Africa. Fantastic. Uh, it's that must have been a very interesting life to go all around the world and see these different areas and deal with all these different situations. Yeah, it was, you know, it was great. And, uh, you know, I mean, certainly it's a young man's job. So like, I wouldn't want to do it again, but I loved the experiences. And, you know, just some of the stuff that I've been able to do, um, you know, I'll give a good example, like I, I served in East Africa in a country called Djibouti. Um, and we were working with the 15 countries that sort of are around the east, um, uh, the Horn of Africa, east, Eastern Africa. And but the people I served with there, they were reservists. They were old people. They were young people. They were from all all the different services, uh, except for the Coast Guard. We had no Coast Guard people out there. It was kind of funny. Hmm. But um, I'm still friends with all those folks. And I, I think like any organization, you know, it's the really the people that you're working with and that sense of camaraderie. Right. And, you know, we're all in it together because that was pretty um, austere conditions. Uh, right, right. And, you know, the U.S. at the time I was there, um, the U.S. was fighting the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan was still pretty hot. And so we were sort of alone and unafraid in East Africa dealing with Al-Shabaab. Uh, and some of the sort of stuff like that going on, which is the terrorist group that's there. Sure. Um, and uh, it was it was just rewarding. And I, I you know, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world, um, you know, and I just had some great sea stories. Some I could probably tell on uh, on media. Others I <laughs> will go to my grave <laughs> never saying. But uh, that's just the way it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you retired from the Navy, you ended mm -hmm. up going into kind of the nonprofit sector, right? Yeah. So uh, my last tour uh, was at, in Newport at the Naval War College. I was on the faculty there. And um, because of my time in East Africa, when I went to the War College, uh, I became uh, a humanitarian assistance and disaster response expertise mm -hmm. was sort of my area where I was training very specifically. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I wanted, you know, of course, to have a job that was as mission focused. Uh, and I think a lot of veterans in particular, especially, especially those of us that have been in for a very long time, that transition piece where you're like, okay, you know, I, I had a whole career. Now, what am I going to do? And especially if you don't want to go into the government service, you know, because right. I could have I taught up at the War College probably, you know, as a professor in a civilian sense. But that's not really what I want to do. Um, my wife's from New Rochelle, New York, which is where I live. You can see the snow out in the back mm -hmm, here. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, so I knew I was going to retire to New Rochelle, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. And uh, except I knew I wanted to work in New York City uh, and I wanted to get on the train with a bagel and a cup of coffee and go to work in New York City. Like that was pretty much like the extent of what I wanted to do. Um, and so for the first like kind of 10 weeks uh, I was still on active duty. I, I, I was interviewing from from Newport, Rhode Island, you know, and right. had no idea. And, and of course, everything, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's sort of like, you know, Brian, when you talk to your guests, like everyone's got like a different job, but every job's like cool. Right. To, you know, and because uh, I remember reading like actuary, like I love risk. I could be an actuary. And then I realized, like, I don't want to be an actuary. Like, yeah. that's a and that's not a fun job. No, even um, actuaries don't want to be actuaries. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or like janitor, like I would be the world's greatest janitor. Like I can clean any U.S. Navy warship. You know, I would have been amazing. Probably not the best use to my background. Probably not. You know, so um, what happened was, is I was searching in the nonprofit space. And at the time, New York City was going through the um, the veteran homeless crisis, as, sure. as well as the rest of the country. But, you know, here in New York uh, in particular, 
there were uh, about 30,000 homeless people in New York City, 10% of which were veterans or their families. Wow. So, I mean, that's a, when you think about like less than 3% of the country has served in uniform, but 10% of the homeless population in New York City is veterans. Like that is stunning, um, disproportionate. And so I, I was, uh, I, I, I don't, uh, I kind of tricked my way into the job interview. Um, I, I picked up the phone and they had been advertising for this job as director of veteran services at a big nonprofit called Services for the Underserved, which had just got a federal grant. Um, and I picked up the phone and I called and I was like, hey, uh, I'd like to talk with uh, Miss Judith Jackson, the chief of staff. This is Lieutenant Commander Morash from the Naval War College. And they're like, we'll put you right through. So exactly. Yeah. And uh, I got a chance to go to an interview. Uh, I actually drove down in a blizzard. And uh, I was, you know, kind of like you were talking about earlier, you know, I've done all this work all over the world. Like the final question they asked me was like, well, well, Brett, you know, how, how serious are you? You know, like you've done all this stuff all around the world and, you know, like 15 countries. And I said, and I said, well, listen, I just drove five hours from Newport, Rhode Island to be in this interview seat in a blizzard. So I think I'm pretty serious. Yeah. So they offered me the job in the spot. It was great. Wow. I was there for about three years uh, and we watched the numbers of homeless people in the veteran sense drop precipitously from, um, like I said, about it was about 3,600, three, you know, 3,600 down to um about 500 in the shelter wow, that's fantastic yeah and about 20 in this on the street so and uh, i had met most of the 20 uh, by the time i left uh, sus but uh and that 500 was sort of like the three-month churn of like people lose their job life circumstance happens you end up homeless you get you get housing you get a job and you kind of go on with the rest of your life right, right. and um you know in the 20 like when you talk to them like you could you you found like they obviously a lot of them had mental health issues that kind of were there, but they all had a story as to like why I was staying street homeless as opposed to going in the shelter, you know, like a mom with a kid who would rather be on the subway all night, you know, for $2 and 70 cents. It's a, you know, warm place that's sure. relatively safe versus bringing your kid into the shelter system. And so like you saw that sort of stuff. Um, but like I said, it was rewarding, um, you know, made a huge impact on people's lives. Uh, just, uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, the federal funding was starting to go away. So that's how I ended up going over to the Bob Woodruff Foundation, uh, which was more on the philanthropic side of things. Right. Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, we were making a difference by making grants to um, all of these different organizations that were making difference. Some of you probably heard about like Team Rubicon. Right. Uh, which shows up after the disasters. Uh, some very small ones like um, oh, uh, Red Badge Project, which is uh, Tom Skerritt, the actor. Yep. It's his yeah. nonprofit uh, or, or Viper from Top Gun, if you're of a certain exactly. age. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But uh, uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of how I ended up in the veteran space. Is uh, you know just it just it chose me. It was just kind of kind of a little bit random. You know, I mean, it's all mission oriented. So that's how I ended up in the nonprofit space. So mission oriented, and and this is going to kind of get us well. Two things. First off, as in, in my years as a journalist, I've covered so many stories about homeless veterans, and, mm -hmm. and it's always been in the back of my mind you know, what could we do more to help people who've done so much for us? Yeah. And, and uh, it's, it's never been, uh, there's no easy solutions to it, except that it takes people and money to go and do right. what they do, what you do. So it, it's, it's, it's fantastic that there are organizations out there trying to do that. The thing that always makes me upset is that why do we need nonprofit organizations to do what we should be doing for our veterans anyway? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, you do need the horsepower that the nonprofits have where, you know, they're organized as a business that's mission focused and, right. you know, and that's where, um, and, and, you know, I mean, there are people that are drawn to that, you know, whether it be, you know, a new undergrad with a social services degree 
wants to help people like, you know, the nonprofit space is definitely the place where they would go. I mean, they're not the type of person maybe that would want to go to like a cutthroat industry, like, you know, uh, Wall Street or something sure, like that. Sure. Um, uh, but, th- but that's where I found that, you know, again, like you were helping people get back up on their feet. Um, and you also saw what the power of a well-run program was. Um, so the, the program that was sort of the backbone of this is called Supportive Services for Veterans Families or SSVF, which is still around today. Um, and that is the main program that's helping veterans get back up on their feet. And it's, and it's always coupled with some sort of employment support Got it. Um, to get people back into work. Um, and there's been some major changes too, like governmentally that um, we've seen like in the past decade now. Um, I mean, stuff that would like, like totally make sense, like a U.S. Army truck driver who's been driving like these big heavy rigs like in Afghanistan or sure. all, all over the world didn't necessarily like and i'll use new york state as an example that that like com- effectively commercial driving experience did not translate to a license as a commercial truck driver like ludicrous right right you know or like a guy h hvacs the other big one um you know guys that were doing uh air conditioning units in the desert they did not have an hvac certificate that was valid in like new york state and right. like they fixed that but it took you know, years of like this sort of like, what are we doing um, kind of stuff. So it, it does always strike me that there's some really simple, logical solutions to these problems that take acts of Congress to be able to fix. 100 percent. It Almost literally, you know, an act of Congress. So it, it's it's uh, always shocked me that not shocked me. I guess it shouldn't have shocked me because it's bureaucracy and government and, and it shouldn't be shocking. But you've mentioned mission, mission, mission so many times in the last 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I find that when I talk with veterans who have, especially once you've been in for 15, 20 years, yeah. when they separate and retire, they often have a hard time finding a private sector job that gives them that sense of mission that mm-hmm. you keep talking about. How big a deal is that to be able to help people who are coming out of our military find things that give them that sense? Yeah, it's, you know, especially if you've been in the military for a real long period of time and and and, and also certain services, like I would say, like the Marine Corps mm-hmm. does a very good job of, and I'm going to use the term indoctrination, but like the indoctrinating them into the cultural side of the organization. And, you know, when you're on a ship, it's not like you're, like I'll use the Navy example here, right? But on a ship, you're not making money, right? You're, I mean, you're spending a lot of money and you're spending time and resources, but you're providing security, right? You're providing forward presence, you know, uh, you know, at a tactical level, like we might be doing boarding operations off Somalia looking for terrorists, but it really brings security to kind of this greater kind of goal. Right. And I think that's the part that a lot of veterans miss when they come out um, and they're going into the civilian sector. And if and especially if they do not have any sort of social backstop where they're going, because if they go back to some relatively small town, you know, there might not be any services for that veteran or frankly, a, a lack of veterans even to kind of catch them when they get there. Um, some of the larger companies have done great work in creating veteran affinity groups internally, which have allowed veterans to kind of seek each other out mm-hmm. and help with that transition. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, some of it is too, is that there's no such thing as like deep boot. I call it like deep boot camp. Right. Like there's no, there's no 12 week. Co- I mean, there's a one week course that you're kind of compelled to take, but there's no like 12 weeks of deep boot camp to kind of deprogram you to be a civilian again. Wow. And, you know, everyone has, yeah, and everyone has different experiences on the way out. You know, I was very fortunate. I was at the Naval War College. 
I was with a bunch of, you know, guys who had retired, you know, relatively recently before. So like I had a very nice glide slope on the way out and translating college professor at the war college to college professor as a civilian is not a stretch, right? Like I can explain that to a civilian easily, but if I told you I was a infantryman, right. And you hadn't, and you know, your only mind's view is watching like Black Hawk Down or Saving Private Ryan. Right. You have very much in your mind, like what that must be and how does that translate directly to like a civilian space? Um, And that's what, you know, I think that when I look at veterans uh, and like what they need, you know, if you are, give them a chance to interview, you know, and then try to find the reasons that their experience will dovetail into like what you're looking for. And you'll find like that they have all this different leadership experience and they're doing leadership experience that normally would be an older person in the civilian space. You know, I mean, you've got 18 year old kids or 19 year old kids leading 17 year old kids kicking doors down. Right. And, and, you know, and that that leadership skill is is something that like, you know, if you were to kind of translate that loosely into civilian space like that's that that doesn't really happen until you're older, you know, and that's why, you know, I think that you are getting a veteran. Uh, in fact, uh, Brian, uh, uh, real quick, um, you know, recently at the City Island Yacht Club, our, our office manager retired uh, after 20 years. And we, uh, we hired a guy who just got out of the Coast Guard Mm. and, uh, no experience on QuickBooks, you know, no experience in like being a civilian, but like he knows the waterfront, he, you know, he knows how to talk to people and he knows how to be organized. And that's why we hired him. He's doing great. And he already learned QuickBooks, you know, um, you know, so that's, you know, so he's going to be great, but anyway, you know, it's funny because a, similar situation in the civilian sector, private sector is, you know, when someone's trying to reimagine themselves Mm -hmm. in a different career after doing something for many, many years, you know, I, I, I spent 30 years as a journalist and now I'm doing some, uh, financial planning Mm -hmm. and, and, and that kind of stuff. And my family and friends don't look at me and say, well, what does this guy know about finance you know and 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 i have to go talk to people who don't know i'm a journalist to get anybody to take me seriously yeah you know and anybody who has done something for a long time and is trying to re-envision themselves and and doesn't have the exact stuff on their resume that would work towards a job that they might be applying for it's hard to get an hr person to even look at that resume you know so it's the same problem for for our military members who are have done one thing and now have to find a job doing something else and it sometimes it's hard to make those connections and people have to yeah. think bigger and more globally like okay this person doesn't have the exact skill set but what about all these other intangibles that you can't yeah. put a put a dollar figure on yeah i mean well you're right i mean it's sort of like you're you're a journalist right so you know one thing that journalists have going for them and i do i'm assuming you have like a series six or seven or, or one of those kind yeah of, it's it's a life license I, yeah. I haven't gotten quite to series six or seven yet that's right. a, that's down the road yeah, but but, yeah. But, but you but you've also done a lot of research, right? So mm-hmm. like as you're doing that, you're doing like your pre-research and stuff like that. Like those skill sets are directly translatable to what you're doing. Right. Now now, yeah, I mean you're not you're not looking for, you know, some sort of, you know, uh scoop story or something right. like that. But like you are looking for like, you know, key details that matter, right? Yep. And that's what you that's where your expertise comes in. And that's where like I, I was using the example of Kushan who took over as our office manager. Right. You know, here's a guy who um, he worked at. Uh, uh, he was a Coast Guardsman, but he was on a, a cutter at one point. But he was also at Sector New York, uh, Sector Long Island. Excuse me. 
And I'm, I'm sorry, correction, Sector Hampton Road, Standard Virginia in Norfolk area. And he was like the guy on the other side of the radio when a yachtsman was getting a Bay Day call out. Right. He, he was the guy coordinating the, 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 the other side of that, which is the rescue. Sure. And so like those sorts of skills, so you're like, oh, wait a second. Like this guy actually understands what's going on over here. Like, you know, so his understanding of like what we do for the club is a whole lot of different stuff. So but that's the sort of thing where you're like you need managers, you need people in leadership positions to be deliberate, especially when you're dealing with HR professionals. And, you know, and, and listen, I mean, we all know most HR, uh, the, the junior level people probably had not served in the military. So they do not know what they're looking at when they're seeing a military resume. And if it doesn't connect up directly, they're probably going to put it aside because it's a risk issue for the company, right? right. Like however they define risk. Sure. So th- those are sort of things like you have to, as a leader, you have to be very deliberate. So any CEOs or lawyers out there that are on the SCCA podcast, you know, maybe this is where you go to your HR folks and be like, Hey, give me at least one resume that is in this batch. that has a veteran on it. Yeah. You know, just one, like, and, and give that guy or gal a chance to interview and, and you might be surprised. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we, we, we've, we've established why helping our military veterans mm-hmm. is is so important and which i don't think we needed to establish but we've done it <laughs> yeah so what i want to do real quick is i want to take take a break and then mm-hmm. when we come back we're going to talk about the whole purpose for getting together here and that is racing for heroes an organization i've heard about in the past but didn't know a lot about and but i've i've done my i've done my homework here and i am so excited to talk about your mission now and what you're doing going forward. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about Racing with Heroes. My guest is Brett Marash. This is Inside the SECA. Hi, I'm FE2 driver Kelton Jago, and when I'm towing my car to the racetrack, I listen to Inside the SCCA podcast. When I need numbers for my autocross time trial or road race car, I go to autocrossdigits.com. Christian and his crew offer top quality magnetic and vinyl numbers. Their website is easy to navigate. The prices are great and most orders ship in four business days. If you need numbers for your car, check out autocrossdigits.com. Tell them the podcast guy sent you. Welcome back to Inside the SCCA. Here's this week's headlines. The SCCA virtual national convention will open in a week. SCCA Connect 2022 begins on Friday, January 21st. The opening day includes the annual meeting in the Car Culture vs. Car Competitor Session, presented by Inside the SCCA podcast, featuring SCCA President Mike Cobb, Haggerty CEO McKeel Haggerty, and moderated by Brian Blansky. That's at 5 p.m. Central Time. That session is followed by the SCCA's Hall of Fame induction ceremony. The convention is free to members. Go to SCCA.com convention to register. This week is the first Super Tour of the year. You can listen to the coverage on SCCA.com and on the Performance Motorsports Network. We'll have the results next week. If you would like to get some of your region's news on the podcast, send the details in the email to racerannouncerbrian at gmail.com. For Inside the SCCA, I'm Alex Blansky. We're back here on Inside the SCCA. My guest is retired Lieutenant Commander, Dr. Brett Marash, he is the executive director for Racing for Heroes. We just spent 20 minutes talking about his life before Racing uh, for Heroes and all of the fantastic service that he's given our country. And again, we thank him for that. And we thank all of our military members 
But now let's talk about Racing for Heroes. I'd heard about mm-hmm. Racing for Heroes a while back, and you know, I kind of had an idea of what the, what 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 they were doing. But I haven't really had a chance to kind of dig deep into it. Last week we had Kelton Jago on the show. He oh, wow. is Great. Uh, he is an FE2 driver, and one of the things we talked about is his involvement with Racing for Heroes. Mm-hmm. And it kind of you know sparked me. I'm like, let's get these folks on the show, yeah. and because the 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 mission is fantastic, and and that's why that's why we're here today. So first of all, give us the 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 thirty thousand mm-hmm. you know uh, foot view of what race for heroes does because they do a lot more than just racing right oh yeah way way more than racing so uh at the thirty thousand foot level we are a 501c3 nonprofit uh, based out of alton virginia which if you're in the seca world you know that's where virginia international raceway is vir uh and we're right in the office park on ace drive right outside got it um and the nonprofit is devoted to helping veterans and their families uh primarily through the use of motorsports and then we have internal programs that support all of uh, the things we do. Uh, And we look for niche places where things like the homeless veteran program I was talking about before do not fit in. Um, And, you know, I like to say that every person out there has their thing that makes them excited. And, and for veterans, you know, if they have like PTSD or TBI, uh, traumatic brain injury, they uh, find catharsis. And so for us, it's around motorsports. And that could be driving the race car, which we can talk about in a minute, or it could mean um, the other side, which is like being part of the race team uh, and working on the cars. Right, right. And and when you think about it, a race team is a lot like a military unit, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So if you think about a race team, right, you know, yes, there's the race car driver, of course, uh, which could be one of the crew, right? Like, I mean, sure. you know, building the car. But one of the things that I really like about that is that, you know, you're working on the car as a team, you're preparing for the race, you're going to the race. And yes, there's one person driving, but there's the team that's making that car go around the track, uh, whether it be the dirt cars that, you know, you kind of think of racing for years, you see a lot of late model dirt cars. But it could be something like an SCCA kind of F3 car, you know, that we'll see out there as well. So, um, but that sense of teamwork and mission to get that car on the track and get that car to operate as best possible is really what gets people focused. Right. And, you know, when you have veterans that are not necessarily um, doing well, by bringing them back together as part of this team, they feel like they have that sense of belong again. They feel that sense of mission and then they're working together. And then, you know, and, and uh, hopefully, you know, they become less depressed, you know, they are uh, able to kind of work through their challenges. They may be having for PTSD. They may seek additional help, you know, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and then for folks behind the wheel uh, and this is kind of how race of heroes really started uh, was Mike Evok, who is a retired uh, U.S. Army Special Forces warrant officer. Um, Mike had had some traumatic brain injury and, and PTSD through his service. And, you know, he served a long time uh, everywhere. Uh, he was seventh group guy. So like uh, geographically was assigned to Colombia and that part of you know South America. Mm. But, you know, when the war on terror happened post 9-11, everybody served in Afghanistan and Mike did a lot of time there as well. Sure, sure. Um, so folks like Mike, who are on the more kind of kinetic end of things, if you will, 
you know, they need that adrenaline rush uh, that that kind of comes with, you know, what they're doing in the field. Right. Um, and there's no it's really hard to replicate that. And, you know, even guys that go into the world of the kind of contract stuff like Blackwater, you kind of age out at a certain point or those jobs are few and far between. Right. And, you know, something like racing, you know, you've got the risk that's there. You've got the adrenaline rush and it's a risk that's manageable in a way that like, you know, there's not bullets coming the other way, right? Like, right. you know, they're getting behind, they're getting behind the wheel and, you know, they're super focused and, you know, that part of the brain uh, is stimulated. And if you talk to Mike, he'll tell you that once he started getting back into racing, something he did prior to the military, he was able to sleep on those nights more than a couple hours. Right. And so just like that amazing act of, of racing really is there. So our goal is to try to help veterans start their own little teams, get their own cars and then get out there on the track. We're not paying for people to get their own race cars or anything like that. Right. But we are helping them as best we can to get behind the wheel. Um, and we have other programs too, like uh, that are designed for physical wellness. Got it. Because if you feel better and you work out, like you have more endorphins and then you, you know, sleep better, you're more willing to work out. So we have a health and wellness program, uh, a vitamin and supplement program, mm. um, which, you know, uh, Brian, I, I, I don't know how old you are, but I just turned 50. You know, um, we're, we're all getting older, you know, it just, so I see I'm, the great, I see the great beard. I'm 51, <laughs> you okay, know, yeah. and, and it was funny when I turned 40 ish, yep. I, I started realizing that I, I, I had the, 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 the hurt of the, I was in the hurt of the week club. Yeah. Every week something would hurt. I wouldn't know why it hurt. It started to hurt. I wouldn't know what I did to make it hurt. And then at the end of the week, that hurt seemed to go away, but something else would start to hurt. Right, right. So, you know, yeah, it's it's all part of getting up there, right? Yeah. And and so one of our programs, like the vitamin supplement program, is really designed to see what you have for blood work sure. and what we can do to kind of tweak it to where you can get to um, sort of like where you should be for your age. Right, right. And so like, and it could be something simple, like uh, like in the blood work we do, we work with an organization called Regenesis out of uh, Pensacola, Florida, sure. uh, which is run by a couple of retired uh, or former uh, Navy SEALs that became docs. Um, and with that blood work, they might do things like give you triglycerides, like fish, fish oil pills, something sure. that you would be able to get anyway, right? Right, right. But then, but then it's also things like trying to help work with like maybe estrogen, like you know, I have excess estrogen. It's great because my hair will never fall out. There you go. Um, but I gain weight just by looking at something, right? So like, it's that sort of stuff we're trying to get that rolled back to where you probably should be with testosterone mm. and less estrogen at your age bracket. Sure, sure. And and not that it's tailored medicine, but what it does is it makes you feel better. You feel less depressed. But that also means that if you're less depressed, you're less likely to be using some of these heavy hitting drugs that maybe the things like the veterans administration are, are providing like, you know, opioids and things sure, like sure. that. So, cause at our top line, Brian, we're really about preventing veteran suicide. Right. And, you know, we haven't really talked about that yet, but 22 veterans a day commit suicide. And that has been the statistic for 10 years now. Right. And all of this effort that has gone into, I mean, like millions, if not billions of dollars from the federal government, individual organizations, you know, I, I would just tell you that that maybe the numbers would be even higher if it weren't for all of this effort. So, like, you know, anything you can do sure. to help a veteran, you know, who might be in crisis, you know, is, is there. So. 
So, so what is what is a race weekend look like for a veteran who comes oh, yeah, to sure. a a racing for heroes event or situation? What does a race weekend look like? Yeah, so uh, like I'll use the example. Like, so we have the seven seven three car. Uh, so if you go to our website www.racefears.org, uh, you can see our tribute car. Right. Um, that race weekend really is, you know, of course it starts like on Wednesday, right? And it's like loading the car as a team, getting the car prepped, you know, going down as a group. Uh, from Alton down to, let's say, Fayetteville to the uh, Fayetteville Motor Speedway, which is a dirt track down there. Uh, and then working together as a team to get that car on the track. Um, usually we race, they'll race Saturdays if they go down, um, you know, and, and everyone has like a regular job too. Uh, you know, they, they work at like RFH Tactical Mobility or some sure. of these other organizations. So, um, but that's how our race weekends kind of work in a general sense. Uh, we also support things at VIR. So like we'll have like charity laps, uh, which we just had in uh, December. Uh, we had over, gosh, like 56 cars come out, um, you know, 15 minute shots on the track with about 20 cars at a shot. Sure. Uh, it was amazing, you know, like, and, you know, but those are sort of like the the high points of, of how we do that. But we, we always try to do it as a teamwork event. Uh, and we have, we actually have two 773 cars, one's uh, black, one's white. Um, both of them have the names of all the combat uh, killed in the special forces um, or special operations community. And our trailer has everyone that's on it. But it could also be like, um, we have a drag car, Jimmy Sprecker uh, drives uh, the Race of Heroes drag car. Um, and so like on that weekend, we had an event down at, uh, gosh, I'm going to Roxborough Motor Speedway, okay. um, which was dirt, that's a drag strip. Uh, but it was amazing. It was also the, the, I don't know if you've seen Counting Cars, like the the driver. No, no. Um, they were there like it was they were the headline and nice. uh, I'd never been at a, at a drag strip. Right. Uh, and it was amazing. And it was like old school, like where they had people drop their arms like it was just amazing uh, watching this. No, no tree. Sure. That day. sure. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was cool. So uh, I guess, you know, again, for me, it's always funny because because I don't have the racing background. I'm not a purist in like dirt racing or this right. or that. Like so for me, it's always amazing. Like, oh, wow, this is what drag racing's like. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is what dirt racing's like. How do how do veterans find you and and get involved? What's the best way? I'm assuming it's through the website, right? Yeah, the, through the website's the best way. Um, and then uh, what'll happen is when you go there, you'll see there's like an info at racingfeels.org email, or they can email me directly, Morash B, uh, like Bravo, uh, at racingfeels.org. And then what we'll do is I'll I'll reach out to them on the phone probably and discuss like where they are and what they can do, uh, and then try to connect them up with either folks in their area or our supports that we have at VIR. Got it. Got it. Now I understand the SCCA foundation has, has provided some assistance to the, to the organization too. Is that right? They did. We, uh, we were very, uh, they graciously gave us $5,000 last year. We we're in the process of modifying uh, a, a car for a ride along for a veteran. Um, it will allow, you know, combat injured veterans or veterans that are unable to drive to sit in the right seat and get get the experience on the track. Uh, we're probably going to use a C7 Corvette okay. um, for that car. That sounds um, like fun. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Uh, we had some challenges kind of modifying the original car we had in mind. So we're uh, working on this one. Uh, and then we have a long-term goal of actually modifying a vehicle for hand controls. Right. Um, which I think will be exciting as well, you know, for veterans that, you know, can't use their lower extremities. 
Right, right. So I, it's interesting you say that because I, I've spent a lot of time following Sam Schmidt Motorsports, and I don't know if you know Sam Schmidt, but he was an IndyCar driver who was, or he uh, he was an IndyCar driver who was paralyzed in a, oh, wow. in, a in a motor racing crash, and he's been working real closely. He still owns an IndyCar team. And he's been working real closely with the technology community to build an adaptive car that mm. he can drive, which then, of course, that technology will eventually be shared for other people who are paralyzed. And uh, he has done laps at Indy oh, wow. with, in this Corvette that's been adapted for someone who's a quadriplegic to drive. Amazing. And, and like all motorsports technology, it trickles down to regular folks who need it at some point in time you know and and so you know it's these types of programs that are so important to help people who've been through so many different things so uh you know it's it's really kind of cool how can people donate and help with this project so uh if you want to donate please go to our website www.racingforheroes.org uh we have a donation page that's on there uh it goes right to paypal through the paypal foundation sure and that's how the money that's how the money goes to the to the nonprofit. Um, and, uh, that's the easiest way to donate, uh, for us. Um, and then, uh, the, if you want to come down to racing for heroes headquarters and like, see what we do, um, you can do that as well. Uh, we have charity events all uh, throughout the year. We have things, like I said, charity laps is one example, but, uh, in May we'll have what's called gunning with green berets, which okay. is exact, exactly what it sounds like. It's shooting machine guns with green berets. <laughs> that um, sounds like fun. It's a lot of fun. You get to. I took my uh, kids down and my wife and my wife's like a first grade teacher. And we now have a picture of her shooting a 50 cal machine gun into oh, a car. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's, it's never a dull day at race superheroes. Uh, everyone's always go, go, go. So, so does she put that up on the PowerPoint at the start of her first day of school with her first graders and just let <laughs> no, them know she that <laughs> if they, if they, if they get out of line, she knows how to take right. care of business. Mrs. Morash can lay down some steel, right? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> now that'd be funny I'll, I'll i'll tell i'll tell her that she'll she'll get a laugh that'll be a viral moment that i'll end up putting yeah. on a newscast someday <laughs> well i live in new i live in new york there's a good chance she'd get in trouble for that here i think so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that same thing would happen out here in california so <laughs> so i i just want to put it out there you know one of the things we do at at racing wire and the inside the scca podcast is is we do some charity work and i just want to let you know that I'm going to add, because I make the decisions, uh, I'm you. going to put uh, Racing for Heroes as one of our charity partners. Oh, thanks, Brian. And uh, every year we, we do our, a little bit of charity work, and then the couple of, of charities that we decide to work with, we split up the pot and we, we make the donations to, to those folks. So uh, I've just decided in the last 15 minutes to take Racing for Heroes and, and put it as one of our charity partners. Well, and, thank you, Brian. Um, and I... And and listen, I didn't realize you were out in California. We actually had a couple guys out there recently that went up Thunder Hill, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't think is probably too far from where you are. Well, uh, everything's far hours, from yeah. you know California is <laughs> is the long. I think it's the longest state in the country. So it's only this big on the map, right? Yeah, it's this big <laughs> on the map. But you know, my, my, my wife says, you know, you know, I, we've got friends in Seattle. That can't. Be, let's go up to Seattle for the weekend. I'm like. <laughs> You don't drive to Seattle for the weekend. It takes a weekend to drive to Seattle. <laughs> to Seattle, right? So, but yeah, Thunder Hills five five six hours north. Oh, of is that far? Okay, gotcha. but uh, but so is everything else, you know. Yes. And uh, that's pretty cool. So yeah, Thunder Hills a really cool, really cool track. So, anything else we should know before we wrap this thing up? 
Yeah, uh, you know, please take a look at our website. Uh, you'll see all the various programs we have. I mean, and, and there are probably things you don't even think about, like uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy that we try to help with veterans, the vitamin supplement program. And it's all designed to help veterans, you know, with PTSD in particular and, you know, reduce depression with the top line of, you know, ending veteran suicide. And, you know, if we can, if we can save one veteran, you know, we made that difference, you know, and, and that's really what it matters. Very good. Very good. All right. I appreciate your time. We're going to put all of the website information on the show notes. So if you're driving, don't worry about it. You know, don't get yourself into a wreck trying to write, write down the website. We're going to throw it in the show notes and uh, and we'll have all that info there. And we'll we'll continue to connect over time. You know, anytime you guys have a new program, especially if it's SCCA, you know, related, let's let's reconnect and get you back on let's the do podcast. It. Yeah. Thanks so, so much, Brian. Fantastic. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Inside the SCCA. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network so you won't miss an episode. It would also be great if you left a comment, especially if it's a good one, if it's a bad one, find someone else's podcast page and put it on there. You can follow us on social media to find out who our next guest is and leave a question. On Twitter, it's at RacingWireNet. There's a new Inside the SCCA every week. I'm Brian Belansky. And from the Big Daddy G-Dub Studios, this is the Racing Wire Podcast Network. Have a great week and go play with cars. I'm Abby Shear, and this is Inside the SCCA. Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests and not that of the SCCA.